This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Hey, good morning. It is so good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, We are in our second week of a brand new series called Defining Moments. Uh, Those are the moments in our lives where we come to a, a fork in the road. And what defines them is the choices that we make. And all of us have those. Uh, sometimes uh, they're, they're large events. Other times they're just the, the defining moments of every day. And really what it comes down to it for us as followers of Jesus Christ, our faith should define our choices in how we live from day to day to the major choices that we make that, that help define who we are. And in those choices, we really get a sense of who we are, our identity, but also whose we are, who we identify with. And so my hope in these next several weeks, as we began last week, is that we will consider defining moments as opportunities in our lives to live into the very best of what it means to be a Christ follower, to allow the Lord to shape our identity and to live in such a way that we identify with Him and that others see us, and that how we live our lives influences the choices, the defining moments of those who are around us. It was fall of 1979. I was 21 years old. And it was a defining moment, time in my life. Uh, I'd enrolled uh, in a local university in Los Angeles, and was wanting to finish my last couple years of college and get on to a career and, and really get started with my life. Uh, and I'll never forget the first day at the university, uh, I was welcomed with the echoes of this loud voice. And it would go something like this. It would go, and the, the university was down like in a, in a canyon, and there were hills all above it. It was like coming from the hills. And as you looked up to the hill, there was a road that led down onto the university campus, and you could see this figure. It was this, this older gentleman, and, and he would kind of come down with a limp, and he had like a palsy. He'd wear an old hat. He was just shoveled, and there would be a pack of dogs following as he came down the hill. And he'd go, oh, 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 oh. and everybody would be looking up to see who this character was. Well, I was new to the school. I didn't know him, but everybody did. His name was Jimmy. And Jimmy was a World War II veteran. He'd served in the Navy. And during the war, his ship had been attacked and sank. And he was one of the survivors. But he had had severe physical injuries. In fact, as you got close to Jimmy, he had a shaved head. You could see a scar that went all the way across his skull. And he had a plate in his head. He had been injured. And uh, he had uh, physical disabilities. But he would wander through the campus and he would ask this question. He'd say, why? Why? And he'd go, 400 men. Why? Right? And he'd go, I don't know why. And he'd point to his arm and he had a tattoo 
And there was a woman's name, Emma. And he'd point to that and he'd go, Why? Emma, why? I don't know why. Right? And he was quite a character. In fact, some days he'd, he'd pick little flowers and he'd take them to the cashier and the student store or in the, in the cafeteria. He'd give them to the, to the lady cashiers. But Jimmy would always greet you with the question, Why? And come to find out that he was wanting to know why. Why did a ship sink? Why did 400 shipmates die? Why was he injured? Why, when he came back from the war, did his girl, Emma, leave him? The woman whose name was tattooed on his arm. And what we came to realize is Jimmy was stuck in the world of why. And I can remember looking at Jimmy, and I really would take pity on him. What a poor soul. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine living the, the rest of your life like Jimmy? But what I failed to realize at the time was I was just like him. You see, at 21 years old, I could look back over my life, and I could see that there had been a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulties. Uh, I remember as a child... Um, going to church uh, after school. There was a local Catholic church, and I would, I would just go to the church and sit to be in the presence of God and try to escape the madness that was going on in my home where I lived. There were things that were there that were unspeakable. There were hard things, horrible things, difficult things. And at a young age, I found comfort in the presence of God. And I would go there, and after school, I would just pray and try to seek just peace and and, and just try to connect with someone who I knew could, could help me. Well, at about age 12 or so, I went into the, the parish rectory, and the, and the priest there answered the door, and I said, Father, I was in church on Sunday, and I heard your homily on vocations, and I'm thinking maybe God wants me to be a priest. Well, he was this old Irish guy. He never invited me, and I just stood on the doorway, and he, and he says to me, he says, well, son, let me ask you a few questions like that, you know. He says, are you the firstborn in your family? I said, no, Father, I'm not. I'm the youngest. He said, are your parents in good standing in the Catholic Church? I said, well, no, Father, my parents are, are divorced, and my mother, well, she's on her third marriage, and, and no, she's not allowed to take the sacraments. He said, well, do you go to Catholic school? And I said, well, no, no, Father, I, I, don't, I don't go to Catholic school. And he asked me a series of questions. Then he looked at me and he said, I'm sorry, son, you can never be a priest in the Catholic Church. And he closed the door and there I stood. Right? Now, I'm grateful for my Catholic upbringing. I learned reverence for God. And my relationship with God began to form in those years. But I remember walking away from that parish rectory feeling this sense of, well, now what? And then in my teen years, it was turbulent. My mother was sick. And then she eventually, at the end of my teen years, she died. And so at age 21, enrolling, trying to finish school, you know, had a difficult child, childhood. Teen years were difficult. And there I was at age 21 in a defining moment. What was I going to do with my life? What was I going to do with the pain, with the disappointment, with the hardship, with the suffering? What was I going to do with the whys of my life? And as I looked at Jimmy, I began to realize I'm just like Jimmy. I'm stuck in why. And I have to be honest with you. Um, in that defining moment, I didn't choose wisely. 
You see, when difficult things happen to us, when things that happen to us are, are, are beyond our control, when the circumstances of life or when other people hurt us, or we find ourselves in situations that aren't of our making, those are the times in our life when we can be what? Man, we, we, <laughs> we can go into despair. Our disappointment just drives us into doubt. It can drive us to seek vengeance. We can be angry. We can be mad. We can become bitter. Or it can drive us to our knees. Right? And uh, I was in the former. Uh, during that time, man, I was mad at God. I was angry at Him. I couldn't understand why all the things that happened had happened. I wanted to know why, and the more I asked why, and there was silence, there was no answer, the anger I did at Him. And I kept pushing Him away, pushing Him away, pushing away. In that space, in that heart of that 12-year-old who had gone to the parish rectory and said, I want to be a priest someday, now I didn't want anything to do with God. Isn't it funny? I'm standing up here talking about Him. <laughs> God's so loving and He's so merciful. But you see, I was a Jimmy. I was stuck in why. And because I couldn't get an answer, there was that anger and that bitterness and the pain and all those things, the doubt. And my choices weren't good choices. And I chose not to live for God for a few years. Okay? But that was a defining moment, a defining time in my life. I'll tell you a little bit about that later on, what ultimately happened. But you see, today we're looking at a man named Joseph. Joseph is looked upon as one of the great patriarchs of Israel. The scripture we read today in Genesis chapter 37, and you can read all the way from 37 to 50, it really gives an account of Joseph's life and what happened in his life and how in the defining moments of his life, he chose wisely. And God used those choices to make a difference in his life, the life of his family, and the life of nations, okay? But it really began at age 17. Uh, he was a son of Jacob, uh, the second youngest, and he had found favor with his father. In fact, the Scripture says that he was his father's favorite. And his father wanted to, to let everybody know, including his other sons, that Joseph had found favor and so he gave him a robe, a robe that would have been reserved for a nobleman or someone of stature. And so you can imagine in the ancient world when you have the second youngest son who's found the favor of the father, can you imagine all the older brothers looking at him and saying, what is going on here? And if that weren't enough, Joseph has a series of dreams. And... Uh, he goes to his brothers and then to his father and he interprets the dreams. And essentially what the dreams are saying is, you know what? Someday I'm going to rule over you. Now, can you imagine what his brothers thought? Now, one occasion, his dad Jacob said, I want you to go out to the fields and I want you to find uh, your brothers and I want you to give a report back to me about them and how they're doing and what they're doing. He'd given them the, re the responsibility of giving oversight. Well, it had happened before. 
And the last time it had happened, he had come back and given a bad report to his father, Jacob, about his brother. So this time he goes again. He goes again, and his brothers see him coming this time. And they say, ah, there's that dreamer, right? The younger brother. Uh, the one who thinks he's going to rule and lord over us. And so as they see him coming, they devise a plan. And the plan is this. They're going to beat him up. They're going to throw him in a cistern, a dry well in the desert. They're going to leave him there to die. Okay, that's the plan. And so they do it. But afterwards, they're sitting around eating, and a couple of them are thinking about it, saying, well, you know what, maybe that's not such a good idea. Uh, maybe we can do something else. And there happens to be a caravan of traders that are coming, people that are selling things. They're on their way to Egypt, which is a great world power at that time. And one of the brothers says, hey, why don't we sell him? That way he'll live, but he'll be gone we won't be responsible for his death and we can just wash our hands and we're done with him. Okay? And so that's what they do. Now, can you imagine being Joseph? Can you imagine being in that place in life? Here you are, your father's favorite. He gives you a road to signify that and to let everybody know. You think you're headed for a great future you have dreams that you interpret that reinforce what you believe. And then, on a mission from your father to report on your brothers, your brothers, your family members, they have a plan to do you in. And there he is at the bottom of the cistern. Now, I believe that that was a formative moment in Joseph's life. Because in that moment, it was a defining moment. He was in the pit. Not of his own doing, of the plans of his brothers to harm him, to do away with him, to push him out of the picture. And he had a choice. You see, that cistern was deep, and it was dry, and it was hot, and it was in the desert. He could have looked down and recognized where he was. He could have looked around him and seen the walls of the cistern and recognized just how difficult a situation he was in. Or he could look up. Look up. And I believe, Scripture doesn't say this, I believe, that in that moment he chose to look up. And in that moment, as he looked up, he chose to look to God. And I believe that that set the trajectory of everything else that was going to happen. And so it is in our lives when, when we find ourselves in the cistern, not of our own doing, perhaps something that somebody or a circumstance that's happened to us. We can look around and we can survey, man, this is deep and the walls are narrow and there's nowhere to go. Wherever I turn, it seems like I'm blocked in. Or we can look up. We can look up to a God who's greater than the circumstance. We can look up to a God whose plan transcends whatever evil plan or negative plan somebody else might have had, as is the case with Joseph, okay? And he looks up. Well, what happens? He gets purchased, sold 
to the caravan, to the traders. And they're headed to Egypt. And once they get to Egypt, they see him as a commodity. Because now he's a slave. And they can make money by selling him. And so they do. And so now, not only was he betrayed and abandoned, right, by his brothers, he sold, and now he's going to get sold again into slavery, into the house of an Egyptian nobleman, the captain of the guard. His name is Potiphar. Now, what I want you to see here is his circumstances seem to go from bad to worse. Okay? But I want you to see what's happening in his life in the midst of these circumstances. Let's look here in Genesis 39, 2 through 5. It says, The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered. And he lived in a house of his Egyptian master. Look at that. The Lord was with Joseph, and so he prospered. Was he in the best of circumstances? Was, where, was he where he wanted to be? Had he gone there in his own volition? Or had he been forced there because of the choices of somebody else? Somebody's plot to do away from him, with him. And yet, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the abandonment, in the midst of everything that's going on that's negative in his life, and it's all negative here, look what it says. The Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered. And the Lord can prosper you and me. The Lord can provide for you and me. The Lord can redeem even the worst of our circumstances and situations we find ourselves in. Because the Lord is greater than the circumstance or the people that contributed to our going there. And the question is, where are we going to look? What are we going to do? When he saw his master, or when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in his field. Do you see that? Then in the difficulty of the situation, Joseph, trusting in the Lord, looking up rather than looking at the severity of his circumstance, found God there. And even in those circumstances, God was able to bless him. God was able to provide for him. God was able to use his life as a testimony that yes, the Lord God, right, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his father, is the Lord. And to this Egyptian nobleman, Potiphar, there was a powerful witness. Not to share something with you. When things are going great in our life and, and people are looking at us and we're, hey, we're doing well and we're in a good mood and we're just walking and we're heads up and everything's great, right? We're, we're riding the crest of the wave of life. People look at us and say, well, of course. 
Why wouldn't they? But when circumstances are hard, when we're struggling, when there's difficulty, where there are trials and adversity in our life, and then they look at us and they say, well, wait a minute. There's something different about him or her. They're not responding or reacting the way I would expect a person to. What is it in their life? And they see it's the Lord in our life. And guess what happens? God is glorified. And people want to know more about that. You see? Jesus said, in this world you'll have many troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And you know what? The Lord does not want you or I to be the victim of our circumstances. He wants us to be victorious over them. And He's promised to be with us and to carry us through the most difficult circumstances in our lives. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And for those who trust in Him, for those who love Him, Romans chapter 8 says, He works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Now notice, it doesn't say all things are good. Because they're not. You know that. I know that. But our Lord can work all things for good. Well, Potiphar saw the difference. The Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord blessed Joseph. And consequently, Potiphar's house. But then let's look what happens in Genesis 39, verses 20 through 23. You know the story. Potiphar entrusts his household to Joseph. Potiphar's wife has designs on him, makes advances on him, and Joseph flees. Potiphar's wife concocts a story and says, hey, he tried to take advantage of me. And when Potiphar finds out, Joseph gets put into prison. Right? It gets from bad to worse. Genesis 39, 20-23, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the warden. He's in prison. But the Lord is what? With him. He was in the cistern. The Lord was with him. He was sold to the caravan. Right? As a slave, the Lord was with him. He was sold to Potiphar's house. The Lord was with him. He Now he gets falsely accused of something he didn't do. And we see here the character of Joseph. Right? Rather than give in to the advances, he flees. How easy it would have been for him to rationalize a different choice. But he chose wisely. And so what does he do? He flees, he does the right thing, and he gets punished for doing the right thing. Have you ever been punished for doing the right thing? And it's when we do the right thing, the thing we know we're supposed to do, and yet bad things happen anyway, that's when our faith is really challenged, isn't it? That's when we want to say, well, God, I don't understand. I'm just doing what you want me to do. How in the world, why does this happen to me? That's that thing, why again. Okay? But look at what happens here. He goes to prison. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. 
so that the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. Why? Because he was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. He was a man that could be trusted. Because the Lord was not only with him, the Lord was in him. The Lord led him. He looked to the Lord. Because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Okay? So there he is in prison. And lo and behold, two more men come thrown in the prison. They are Pharaoh's cupbearer. That's the one who drinks and eats Pharaoh's food before he eats it to make sure that it's not bad. He doesn't get sick or he's being poisoned. And the baker, the cook for Pharaoh. And why those two were there, they have dreams. And Joseph interprets the dreams for them. One, he says, you're going to be restored to your position. The other, he says, well, the dream means that Pharaoh's going to hang you and you're going to die. Good news, huh? Guess what happens? It comes true. And the one who was restored, the cupbearer, before he went back to Pharaoh, Joseph says to him, hey, when you go to Pharaoh, tell him about me. Remember me. Don't forget me. So what do you think the cupbearer does? He forgets about it. And for two years more, Joseph is in prison. Okay? Well, Pharaoh has two dreams. And none of his noblemen, none of his advisors can interpret for him. But ah, the cupbearer is there and says, you know what? I remember this guy. Yeah, it's Joseph. Two years ago, he interpreted my dream. Maybe he can interpret yours. And so what happens? Pharaoh calls for Joseph. Now look at this. Genesis 41, 15 through 16. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now look at what Joseph says. Look at the development of his character. Look at the development of his faith. Look at the development of the trust from a 17-year-old boy who goes and tells his brothers what he thinks his dreams mean to what he's now going to say to Pharaoh. Watch this. This is good stuff. He says, I cannot do it. Wow. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And so in the midst of that circumstance, in the midst of his adversity, in the midst of his challenges, what did he learn? He learned to depend upon God. He learned to look to God. And he learned that he may never have the answers, but God does. And that we need to point people to God and to trust Him. Well, he interprets that there's going to be seven years of prosperity. The crops are going to grow. Everything's going to be great in Egypt and across the land. But then there's going to be seven years of famine. Okay? Seven years of famine. And he interprets the dream. And Pharaoh says, well, what should I do? Well, Joseph then is looked to by Pharaoh for the answer. And check this out. Genesis 41, 38 through 40. So Pharaoh asked them, can anyone, can we find anyone like this man 
One in whom is the Spirit of God. This is a pagan king, ruler, a polytheist. The Egyptians worship lots of gods. But what does he recognize? He recognizes that Joseph is different. Can we find anyone in whom the Spirit of God rests like this? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Do you see in his suffering? Do you see in his trials? Do you see in his adversity? God used that in his life to make him wise. Do you see that? Man. God can take those difficult situations and circumstances and He can redeem them and He can use them. He made Joseph wise. Mm. There's no one as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Okay? So now he's elevated to the second in charge of all of Egypt. But you know how much time it was from the time that he got thrown into the cistern to this time? He was 17, the Scripture says, when he was thrown into the cistern and sold into slavery. You know how old he is now? He's, he's 30 years old. That's 13 years. And we have to wait on the Lord, don't we? And can you imagine the Lord working all this out, working behind the scenes? There's a greater unseen reality. God is at work in ways we can't fathom and understand. He takes the circumstances of our lives, the trials, the difficulties, the adversities, and God's at work even when it seems like He's absent. And for 13 years, I can only imagine Joseph saying, what in the world is going on? What are you doing, God? You really know what you're doing. Right? Right? 13 years. He's 30 years old now. No, no, not only is he put in charge of the kingdom, but look at this. He's given an Egyptian wife. The wife of a, of a very noble and high priest. And he has children by them, by her. Genesis 41, 51-52. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. The word Manasseh means forget. Right? The Lord has helped me move and live beyond my trial, my difficulty, my adversity. And yes, there were bad things, but the Lord has given me new purpose and new meaning in life. I can see the Lord's hand in my life And the hurt and the things that were going on, they've been fading away. God's been at work in his heart. But look at this. The second son is named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Do you know that God can produce fruit in the land of our suffering? Do you know that? Somebody here today needs to hear that. I need to hear that. And that's what that name Ephraim means. Twice fruitful. Okay? Twice fruitful. Well, as the story goes on, there's seven years of great crops. 
Then there's seven years of famine. And what happens? Jacob, his father, sends the sons to Egypt because he hears there's a storehouse of crops. And Joseph is the one in charge of selling the crops to all the people. And the brothers come to Joseph. They don't recognize it first as Joseph. Joseph recognizes them. But over time, they come to recognize that it's him. Joseph, rather than taking vengeance upon him or them, blesses them, sends them back to his father Jacob to say, tell him I'm alive and and you come. And Pharaoh said, bring, bring the whole family and we're going to give them the choicest parcels of the land that they can settle on. And Joseph's brothers are astounded. They don't understand. They can't believe it. And in Genesis 50-20, you, you really get the theme of this whole story of Joseph. And the theme is that God is sovereign. That God works through every circumstance in our life. And especially He's at work in the difficulties, the trials, the adversities. When it seems like He's not there, when it seems like we've been abandoned, God is at work accomplishing His plan. And Joseph recognized it. And because he recognized it, he was able to love rather than take revenge on his brothers. He was able to bless them rather than hurt them. You see that? And look at what he says to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph had a sense of the sovereignty of God. He could look back over all that was happening and he could see that that God was working even in those difficult circumstances to move him along to his place and position of power in Egypt so that God could save, right, his own family that had left him for dead, had sold him. Do you see that? Well, let's go back again to the fall. 1979, 21 years old. Man, I had a defining moment. And I chose to be a Jimmy. But you see, Jimmy had an excuse. Right? He had a plate in his head. I was stuck in why. And I made bad choices because of it. I didn't realize at that time I didn't have to be a Jimmy. I could have been a Joseph. Okay? Now I got to that place. And that's the good news. God's patient with us. And even when we don't choose wisely, God's still sovereign. God still works. He still brings us along. But I'm going to tell you something. It took flunking out of college three times. Being academically disqualified. To wake me up. To say, there's got to be a better way here. All this anger and, and doubt and mad at God and, and all of this. I just kept digging my cistern deeper and deeper and deeper. But then I learned to look up. And when that happened, God didn't change. He didn't change the, the things I'd done to myself. But you know what? He met me in those places and He moved me out of it. Okay? And He transformed my heart in my life. And now I can say like Joseph, you know what? What people did, circumstances that were intended to harm me, 
God was able to use them to accomplish good. Okay? And that's my testimony today. And so here's the question for you. Wherever you are, whatever's going on, when you come to defining moments in your life, especially when you've been wrong, when you're hurting, when you're suffering, when circumstances are bad, are you going to be a Jimmy? Or are you going to be a Joseph? Isaiah 41, verse 10. I want to leave you with that this morning. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And that's the story of Joseph. In his defining moment, he chose wisely. Let's do the same.